0: We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
1: I'm Gail Federici, CEO of Federici Brands. I have spent my career solving hair problems for women, starting with myself. I decided to start the conversations out with, you know, I like to be nice. That's, you know, my way. But I don't want you to mistake that for being a pushover. Because I have been called deceptively sweet. And I said, it's not that. I am nice. I said, but if you're going to try it on, I'm going to call you out. It's just that simple. And I just don't think that they do that with men as much as they do with women.
2: This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. Helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger.
0: Gail Federici, CEO of Federici Brands, changed the way hair products are marketed. As the founder of Color Wow and co-founder of John Frieda, she's been behind some of the most innovative merchandising the hair care industry has seen. Taking on beauty and business while raising twin daughters, she discusses how she stays ahead of the trends and on top of multiple brands. Gail, so you're the oldest of four kids. How did that influence you? I think it made me bossy, Basically. I am the oldest of four. There's 12 years between
1: me and the youngest. But I think that definitely your place in the line of siblings, I think it does make a difference because I feel that I was always more in charge than the other three.
0: You said you would have been voted least likely (laughs) to succeed in school and that you didn't have a set path. And so I'm wondering, what's your advice to other women who want to become a successful but don't have a game plan?
1: I mean, I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I had certain things that I wanted in life. Like, I I definitely wanted to be able to travel. My ideal job would be to go between the U.S. and Europe. That, That was way back, you know, in the back of my mind. But somehow, I think that opportunities present themselves to everyone. And if there is something in the back of your mind, you are open to those opportunities when they come before you. And I basically think that, you know, just do your best at whatever you're doing because the more you put into something, the more you get out of it. And that's really what led me to get to where I was in hair care,
0: basically. You have two twin daughters, now adults. But one was born with congenital heart issues, and mm-hmm. you said that drove you to succeed. How so? Yeah, it
1: definitely did. I think I, I was um, 36 when I had my twins, and before that, I have to say, I was a bit of a dilettante. I, would, I went to France at 29 to speak, learn to speak French. I would take singing lessons, guitar lessons. I just was trying to find myself because I didn't have that much responsibility. You know, I had good jobs, but I wasn't really that serious about anything until I had my daughters. And then when I had them both at the same time, there were no twins in either family. It was a real, I was shaken up, basically, a real moment of change in my whole way of looking at life, to be honest. And with one of them that had congenital heart disease, it's a lifetime of dealing with that issue. And I just had to grow up really quick and get very serious. I always say that there are two gales. One BC before the children and one AC after the children. Two completely different people. So that
0: motivated you financially too.
1: Totally, totally, yeah. My My husband is um, very creative and he was in sales, but he's really a musician and a creative at heart. And I had more of a business mind and I thought you better get your act together now because this is reality and no more. Um, I, I think
0: it took me a long time to grow up really. What's your advice to moms who are feeling overwhelmed by their child's Mm -hmm. serious illness?
1: I mean, the cliche is you have to take things one day at a time and know that people have things much worse. And I think things got into perspective for me when I was at the hospital and seeing other families with kids in worse shape than my own. And I just had to keep giving myself a reality check that it could be worse and take it a day at a time. And all you can do as a parent when you have a really sick child is to find the best possible care because that's all you can do. And I felt I did that by taking her to Boston Children's Hospital.
0: You've spoken about leaving your girls to go on business trips and feeling Mm. guilty. So I'm wondering how working moms can learn to go easier on themselves and not feel so guilty about doing so.
1: I mean, I did always have a bit of guilt, but I knew I wasn't going for pleasure. I was going to make their life better. In our whole family's life better. And you can't be great at everything. Just in anything you do, you can't expect to be perfect at anything. And so I, I just, I think I'm, A bit easy on myself. I try to do the best job I
0: can and keep things in perspective. Where do you think women get that tendency to feel like they need to feel perfect? Um, I think people in general feel like they have to be perfect. And I think
1: a lot of people, it's difficult to get input from bosses when they're telling you you're not doing uh, the best job. People want to feel like they're doing everything perfectly, and I don't know why. It's just and maybe in how I was brought up, but I felt like if I'm doing the best I can, I can be brilliant at everything. Who is brilliant at everything? You know, you can have your strengths, understand what your strengths are, and try to do better in the areas where you weren't born with the best ability in that area.
0: I've heard you say women need to use fear to their advantage. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, for me, I did because I was very afraid. When I got the diagnosis and when I had two kids at once, I really was not prepared at all. And it shook me into the real harsh reality of life. I was a bit of, you know, I think in in some ways I was really emotionally immature and that changed me. And I and it I was afraid. I was afraid for what
0: the future might hold, and I wanted to control it as much as I possibly could. You said when you were younger, some vendors took advantage of the fact that you Mm -hmm. were nice. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there are certain things. I I was also small and a female, and I looked incredibly young to a fault. And when we would have different vendors in, I would be very nice, and it would start out fine. But at some point, and it happened over and over again— They would do something that was to me, you've got to be kidding me. It's outrageous how they are changing. The original deal or um, basically changing the deal and so after a while it was just very annoying and very frustrating because I wasn't ever gonna let it happen but I decided to start the conversations out with you know I like to be nice that's you know my way but I don't want you to mistake that for being a pushover because I have been called deceptively sweet <laughs> and I said it's not that I am nice I said but if you're going to try it on I'm gonna call you out it's just that simple and I just don't think that they do that with men as much as they do with women.
0: How can women be more assertive in speaking up for what they want or if they're getting taken advantage of?
1: I mean, it really depends on the personalities, I think, how you deal with those kinds of things. But I think if you think you're being treated unfairly, instead of having it impact your work or your relationships with your boss or other people in the company, you have to just address it in a very straightforward and fair way. It's simple, I think, in that way.
0: You mentioned bossy before, and you wrote in a Huffington Post blog that you disagreed with Cheryl Sandberg's push to ban women being called bossy. And so I'm just wondering why you don't agree with her.
1: Because I don't think that there's any reason to say you can't be a boss or bossy. I just I actually thought that that was ridiculous. You know, if words like that don't bother me, You know, so for me, I thought to ban that word. A a man is a boss. Why can't a woman be a boss? Bossy, assertive. However, you want to say say it, call it out, is okay by me. I just thought that that was being overly sensitive and overly catering to something that I didn't even a problem that doesn't even exist in my opinion. But
0: you came up with the
1: idea for frizzies. Thank you. I did, yes. (laughs) Necessity is the mother of invention. And I I have very frizzy
0: hair. that, That was born out of necessity. Totally, totally. My
1: hair was the bane of my existence. It took forever to style my hair. I always, always really was, not jealous, but I really wanted to have smooth, straight hair. You could wash and not have to blow dry. That was my you know, goal always. So yeah, so I worked for a hair care company and I was always involved in the r and D. I I was upstairs talking to the chemists all the time and I had read about using silicones and I thought maybe they would work for my hair type and that's how it started.
0: How can women recognize opportunities like that? They're looking for their break.
1: I, you know, I think that for me it's always been if there's a problem out there and it's impacting me or I see it's impacting friends of mine or family, then I try to control it. And by controlling it, it often leads to a solution. And I just keep digging and digging and digging until I can figure out a way to make the situation better.
0: What's your advice for women who have their creative idea shot down by someone else?
1: I think then that you have to either find somebody who has similar thought process and ideas to you or you have to go and do it on your own if you really believe in it.
0: We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
2: Spend time with Alexa, then make What's News part of your flash briefing on the Amazon Echo, the Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal.
0: You're well known for many things, especially your marketing expertise. We're hearing so much about people creating brands around themselves. And I'm wondering if you think it makes sense for women to build a brand around themselves. I mean, I think it depends on your personality.
1: I would never do that because that's not my personality at all. I I don't want to use myself as a product. It's not me. But I think other people, if there's like Martha Stewart, that was brilliant. Martha Stewart was everything that she brought to the table. Her lifestyle, her cooking, the way she a household, do-it-yourself, flowers, the whole thing. That was Martha. And Martha was happy to be out there and to promote herself. So you really need to know that that's your personality. That is not my personality at all. I'm definitely someone who's more behind the scenes trying to figure out, is there a problem out there that really is bothering a lot of people in beauty? And is there a way that we can solve it for them?
0: You sold the company you co-founded for about $450 million. What did that feel like? Honestly, at the time, it felt miserable,
1: and I know that sounds absolutely crazy, but it all happened so fast, and we didn't think that we were going to sell. People had come to us over the 12 years to buy us, and we quasi-entertained each company, but we really had so many plans we didn't want to sell. But when that number came in, it was, I remember looking at John and saying, you have to be kidding me. We don't have a choice. It would be irresponsible to not sell at this point. It was a really big multiple at the time, and I said it's we're going to have to. But it didn't feel good because we were not looking to sell and we felt we had so many other plans, but it, it was something that we felt, like I said, it would be irresponsible to not make that move. But I remember when they brought out the champagne. <laughs> This huge magnum of champagne when we were doing the signing. I stared at it and I remember swiveling my head like a, a, crazy to the lawyers. And I said, Are you kidding me? What is that? And they said, Most people celebrate. When they make a deal like this. And I said, get it out (laughs) because I was miserable. I was literally shaking, as was my two partners, Ann, Belle, and John. We were just, it was like, I don't know, I can't explain it. I I was really in a state of uh, sort of post traumatic stress. For about a year, about a year. Was it partly because you worried you didn't know what to do with yourself? It was just everything that we were. And as a group, we had a great group of people that were working with us. And it was fun. And we were out there doing things that hadn't been done before and making a difference. You know, it was really, of course, it's about the money. But what's more fun is when you really can make a difference to the consumer out there. When we had, uh, I can't even tell you, cabinets full of thank you letters for frizzies. People would make us candy that was in the shape of a frizzy's bottle. Mayors of towns wrote us poems about how it changed their kids' lives and it changed their life. It was an amazing thing to be bringing change to an industry that had been so static for so long and really making a difference to women. It was, it was our life, that you know, and it was fun at the same time. And uh, it was hard to let it go, really hard. What did you do with the money? <laughs> Bought a house in England, invested. And just recently, we bought a house in Turks and Caicos. Nothing, you know, wild and crazy. What type of investor are you? I am not conservative. I don't really do a lot of the handling of my own money. And I never have. It's always been the business that I focus on. And my sister, who's also a lawyer, who also works for the company in operations, she handles a lot of it. And of course, we have outside experts too. And every once in a while, I might have an idea for something. But I really get more advice than I give
0: have you been able to make your money last?
1: Yes. Yes. I'm not a crazy spender. I'm a little bit cautious, I think, because I never was cautious, but I am more now because of my daughter, I think. And I just want to make sure always, and to a fault this is, I'm. my advisors tell me all the time, stop worrying. This is absolutely ridiculous. But I, I do, and I worry about the future of, of my kids, and now I have a grandchild. And so that's what I think of uh, the most that's what causes me to be more cautious, even though it's probably crazy that I am. But
0: You've had so much financial success. What motivates you to keep working?
1: Uh, my father worked until he was 92. You know, I feel better when I'm working. My mind, I'm neurotic a little bit. So my mind, not a little bit probably. Some people would say a little bit more than that. But my mind will go to a dark place if I'm not really busy. And so I just keep going. And I find it interesting. Like, I like to learn. So I think because the business has changed so much with the Internet, and it's just a whole different marketplace right now. And it's interesting to me. It's really interesting to me to be learning. You know, I really like to learn. And it's a very different marketplace than when I was doing John Frieda. So it keeps me stimulated, I guess. And that's what I like. And and it keeps my mind occupied. I once went to a monk to learn how to meditate. And, and basically to just try to find a better way forward so I wasn't a nervous wreck. And he said, you need a home for your mind, Gail. You're one of those people that needs a home for your mind. If I have too much free time, if I'm just laying on the beach, it's just not good for me. You know, it just isn't. So
0: that's what keeps me going, I think, partly. You've said networking is more difficult for women. Why do you think that is? It's still a boys, you know, a whole, what's the word I'm looking
1: for? A boys club, I guess, more so. And especially in the John Frieda days, most of the buyers were guys. They liked going to play golf with the guys and play cards and whatever. They were doing all these things. And I was a third wheel. It was John Frieda, our sales, head of sales, and me. And I always knew that they were couldn't wait to get me out of the picture, the rest of them. It's changed a lot. There are way more women in business. But I really think it it's uh, depends on your personality. I'm not. I'm more of an introvert. So for me, networking isn't second nature. But I think there are plenty of women that are good at networking. It's just still a bit of a boys
0: club out there. Some female business owners have told me that women would rather do deals with other with men, not women. And so I'm wondering if you found that to be the case.
1: No, not really. I just like to do deals with smart, fair people. I don't care whether
0: anybody is a guy or a a woman or a man. You haven't felt that work against you being a woman?
1: Yeah, I have at times. But I've had women also
0: that I found
1: very difficult. So to me, it's just the personality of the person and how decent a person they are, really, that is all that
0: matters to me and how smart they are. What marketing advice do you have for women who have their own business?
1: I think that it's difficult not to fall in love with your ideas and really see everything as rosy, you know, and okay, this is a great idea that I've had, and my friends all think it's great. I think the key thing is to poke holes in everything and and kick the tires in a very big way, because I think that's a big mistake a lot of people do that make, is that they want to do it so badly. They want to get out of what they're doing and they want to do their own thing and be their own boss. And you really, really have to take a very hard look at it and, and really entertain and encourage people to find fault with your idea. Just in general, in, in a company, I think Bill Gates once said, bad news tra- um, bad news should travel fast. And that's how I am. I want to know the bad news. I never care about the good news because if it's good, I don't need to worry about it. But I want to know what are the potential problems here with this idea. And let me address those and and then I feel more comfortable going forward. A lot of people said to me, were you worried before every launch. And honestly, I really wasn't. I really felt that we had done so much ahead of time to change things up if we had negative input, which we encourage, like I said. And I felt by the time we were ready to launch, I felt comfortable with it. And I think that's because we really don't want to hear yes, 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 everything is great. Yes, your idea is great. Oh, yes, you're so smart. This is great. Oh, the packaging looks great. No, we go outside and we talk to people that don't know us that have no stake in anything and then try to get the input like that. And I think that's really so important.
0: If you hear that negative input though, how does that not affect your confidence?
1: Because if it's negative input and it makes sense, which it has in the past, we've gotten negative input before. When it makes sense, we change what we're doing. So we've changed packaging. With Sheer Blonde, we brought it into CVS before. We, we thought it was genius, actually. We thought the copy was genius, the, the graphics were genius, brought it into CVS. All the blondes walked right by it. It was Sheer Blonde. We didn't do a lot of things right on the initial packaging Finally, after we brought it in three times and changed things three times, every single blonde that went by picked up our product out of all the ones on the shelf. And they also all said they would buy it at the price point. So we change things when it seems
0: like the person has a valid point. There's a big trend, young women letting their hair go gray or dyeing their hair gray. What do you think of it?
1: Um, I think that I like the silver hair that people are doing on some people. It depends on your complexion, really, I think. And I I do like some of it. And the same thing for women. Some women look amazing with gray hair. Usually it's women that have straight, shiny hair, and it goes gray. It's beautiful. But it's just not right for everyone. For me, it would definitely not
2: be a good idea. (laughs) That's for sure.
1: Big, wild, gray, frizzy hair. I don't think so.
2: Time now for your secrets.
1: I'm Gail Federici, and my money secret is go to the experts, which is what I do with the company. I'm fine. But with my own money, I give it over to the experts, one of whom is my sister.
0: Be sure to check back every week for future episodes featuring tech leader Gene Case, designer Rebecca Minkoff, and actress Sandra Bernhard. Hear from women industry leaders about their road to a successful career and their secrets to financial empowerment. Find us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite audio provider and tune in every week for all new episodes of the Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast.
2: What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women.